From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. It is a bit depressing, but we'll go with it anyway. Reducing the body to, this is what we all come down to everyone, so be nice, <laughs> be happy. Go for it. Eat that burger. George R. R. Martin, who's the procrastinator of all procrastinators, and I really relate to him in that sense, uh, didn't finish the the series. If we can't look after the most vulnerable in our society, who are people with disabilities, in my view, and the elderly, we're not doing right by our citizens. Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily. Spoiler alert. Why it's harder than ever to avoid having the ending ruined. Having surgery? Why not go for a cold water swim first? And the remarkable story of the County Cork villagers kidnapped by a Dutch pirate. That's all on the way over the next hour of the radio catch-up show that has ruined too many endings to count. The musings on the news, or newsings, if you will, on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show started up in the rarefied air of international relations. The balloon. The Chinese balloon. I mean, it's been in the news a lot for the last few days, if you haven't heard about it, the Chinese spy balloon. It's quite bizarre because the word balloon doesn't lend itself to any seriousness. So when you hear the President of America saying, we're going to shoot down the balloon, you think, <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound like the greatest threat of all time. But actually, it's quite... It's quite the balloon is about the size of a jet plane. That's how big this thing is. So this isn't just, you know, a helium balloon in the shape of Mickey Mouse. This is a proper, <laughs> a proper spy balloon about 200 feet tall, weighing thousands of pounds, may have carried explosives meant for self-destruction. Uh, it was shot down eventually on Saturday by a Air Force F-22 fighter jet. The military advised President Biden against shooting it down over land because the debris might kill people, essentially. Uh, if it had been shot down, the spokesman said the device had glass off of its, it's a very American way of putting it, its solar panels, potentially hazardous materials such as material that is required for batteries to operate in such an environment and even the potential for explosives to detonate and destroy the balloon that could have been present and uh, they got rid of it. The debris from the balloon ended up being scattered across an area measuring more than 15 football fields by 15 football fields. Yeah, so it caused all sorts of uh, grief. It had been loitering. The balloon had been loitering. That's what balloons don't do. They don't don't hover, they, they loiter. Uh, over sensitive areas of Montana, of all places, where nuclear warheads are siloed before sailing east. And it's ignited quite a saga, a spying saga between Washington and Beijing, whose uh, relations wouldn't be amazing. China tried to claim the balloon was just a weather research airship, yeah, right, that had blown off course. But US officials were quick to level surveillance accusations. So that rumbles on, or loiters on. Pop goes the chance of decent relations between the US and China, I guess. Meanwhile, Bill texted in his eager question about a certain BBC drama that came to an immensely satisfying conclusion on Sunday. Did you see it? Did you, did you, did you? Wasn't the final episode of Happy Valley just immense, thrilling, dark, gripping, beautifully paced Sarah Lancashire's turbo granny? will stay with me for a long time. Surely one of TV's greatest ever cops. To think it was all brought to life by an Irishman makes it all the better. Bravo to everyone involved. I think Bill just summed it up for all of us. Uh, that's that's what I'd say. It's always very boring for other people who aren't watching something to hear other people talking about something that they're very passionate about. But I'll keep it brief. Yes, of course I saw it. I saw it uh, last night. Happy Valley, the conclusion of the whole thing. Series and, um, and everything else. Sarah Lancashire, as I was saying to the guys earlier, must win every 
TV award going um, for acting. It was just knockout. Script is great. Uh, the finale was lovely. Everything was tied up neatly. Did not disappoint. It. And yeah, it was. I was. I was thrilled with it. I thought it was really, really good. I was also watching. I was dying to get to that episode because you, you, a lot of you guys had said to watch the third episode of The Last of Us. This is the, the fungi. Uh, infecting people in a kind of post, not necessarily apocalyptic, but certainly it kind of like Cormac McCarthy, the road sort of vibe to it as they try and make their way through a bleak landscape obliterated largely by, as I say, a, a fungi that has infected people and they become zombies. Now, as soon as you say the word zombie, you lose probably a third, if not half the audience because they go, don't do zombies. And I don't really do zombies myself. I'd include myself in that. So I said, why? I have to watch this. It's a pop cultural phenomenon. I kind of want to get involved. Obviously, I don't play video games, but I believe that these, this game is really good. The Last of Us is really good. And this is a television version of The Last of Us. It's really good. Now, here's the problem I have, really, is that the actors who play the part of zombies, whoever choreographs zombies, they, they look preposterous. So the first of all, they do this thing. So the guy's walking through the, the, the room and then you hear that. Okay, so now, okay, there's one in the room. Fine. And then there's a twitch. Somebody hits a bit of a, a, a stick or something. And then the zombie comes out. Now, what does the zombie do? The zombie does the ridiculous head tilt. of You know, the, the are you okay, hon? Head tilt. That's what they do. And then they start to move like a mummy out of a 1950s B movie. How is that brilliant? I don't quite. They're, 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 it's just it's just the look. It reminds me of we saw this all before. Has anyone seen the video from Michael Jackson's Thriller? They're, they're not far off it. So they are they deaf and blind? Is that the point? And just blind? Okay. But the head tilt is in all of them. The Walking Dead, uh, The Last of Us. No one's met a zombie. So I mean, you might work with one or two, but no one's actually met them necessarily. So how do they become so universally all of the same? Oh no, I'm not just not, I can't. But however, having said that, parking the Michael Jackson video for Thriller, parking the fact that all zombies seem to have the universal language of the head tilt, apart from all of that, the third episode that everyone said was extraordinary was actually really excellent and I really enjoyed it. Will I stay with the rest of the series? Probably will. It's a good yarn. If you can kind of de-zombify it, which kind of sounds completely silly, it's 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 it is as as we were hearing last week from Triona, our guest. It is, it it's an epic. It's an odyssey. So I'll just keep going. Now the fun guy grown out of their heads. Now is another thing that nearly threw me over the edge. I th they just looked, yeah. but I I suppose I need to buy into it, don't I? I need to what's it called um, suspension of disbelief and and just enjoy it. Okay, I'll, I will. I promise. From Happy Valley to Zombie Valley, Ryan keeps his critical eye on the cultural pulse of the nation. And what's more cultural these days than internet memes? There, there's a thing going around, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but apparently at the at the Grammys, where if you show up you win an award, uh, Ben Affleck has become a thing. Ben Affleck looks so miserable and so unhappy to be there and so desperately sad despite being surrounded by so much glamour and glitz and his beautiful wife and all of it, that he's become probably one of the great memes of our time. How can somebody so successful... Look, Stuart Heritage writing today, Ben Affleck has a life that many of us would kill for. He's rich, he's handsome, 
He has reached the peak of his career behind the camera, two Oscars, writer and director, and in front of it, he was literally Batman, romantically involved with some of the most beautiful women on the planet, currently married to Jennifer Lopez, and yet at the Grammys, picture after picture, he seems utterly dejected, staring off into space, unmoved by his proximity to glamour, doesn't smile, doesn't even try. He looks like someone who has successfully dissociated himself from everything, like someone who would rather retreat to the comforting vortex of his own mind than indulge in any of the revelry. Sadly for Affleck, the internet also saw these photographs and responded accordingly. It it, it, it says that Affleck has become a meme again. Uh, Almost as soon as he ventures into public these days, he unwittingly turns into a meme. Remember the Affleck of old? Young, handsome, so cocky you couldn't help but take against the guy? That's gone. In his place is a man weighed down by the sheer punishing, relentless burden of life on earth. And that, as you no doubt realise for yourself, is much more our speed, says the writer this morning. And the Grammys seem like a terrible way to spend an evening. They're bad enough to watch on TV, but imagine being there, surrounded by those crowds of preening, self-absorbed celebrities. If you went to the Grammys, you'd look 100% like Affleck did this weekend, silently counting down the clock until you were finally allowed to go home. And I think that's what he he wanted to do, is go home. And yet, Jennifer Lopez has come out in the last uh, little while to say that she had the best time with Ben at the uh, at the Grammys. And despite the um, the memes, she posted a video montage of Instagram clips and videos of the couple looking glamorous. And she wrote, always the best time with my love, my husband. Good on them. If they're happy, they're happy. And that's good news. Or doth J-Lo protest too much? We'll all come to our own conclusions, won't we? Anyway, the Benefer Grammys meme will never topple the sad Keanu as the best meme, the memest meme of them all. That's just my opinion, of course. Your mileage may vary. And that's Fantasyland. Back in the real world, some scary doodahs happening. An 82-year-old woman was pronounced dead at a New York nursing home. And then three hours later, they heard her breathing and said, oh, maybe she's a little hasty. Rumours of her death and all that. So she was brought back to the, uh, the 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 hospital and we don't quite know what happened that uh, to to her and apparently it happened as well in in um, in in somewhere else in in America where somebody was pronounced dead and placed in a body bag and then the workers found when they took her out that she was breathing and they had to call the police and oh, <laughs> that's everyone's idea of how, uh, the fear of of being buried alive but we could all become soil now, which is good news, in a new funeral process, uh, bringing um, ashes to ashes, earth to earth. Uh, the Church of England is to look into the composting of bodies, and a priest has been given the job of examining whether the practice could be suitable for Christian funerals. This is human compost, known as terramation. Uh, a, a body is put into a reusable steel capsule and surrounded by materials such as wood chips, sawdust, straw and alfalfa, and this speeds up natural decomposition, and naturally occurring microbes reducing the body to, this is a bit depressing, but we'll go with it anyway, reducing the body to, this is what we all come down to everyone, so be nice, (laughs) be happy, go for it, eat that burger. We end up as two wheelbarrows worth of soil. I mean, that is really what it all boils down to at the end of the day. We are addressing each other as wheelbarrows of soil. I know it's bleak. I know it doesn't make for a great... (laughs) Great Tuesday morning listening. However, it should also be a wake-up call. We are wheelbarrows of soil waiting to happen. So do the right thing. And and if you're thinking, I wonder will I go away on that holiday? Go on the holiday. Because before you know it, you're being wheeled to the skip. So let's uh, 
let's let's think about that for today. When you're in Woody's buying that wheelbarrow, just think that could be me. Well, no, you need two of them. Let's face it. Don't undersell yourself now. The temperatures reached are enough to kill any pathogens. It's creators say, and the soil can be returned to the family. To, oh, that's nice. So the two wheelbarrows come back up the garden path. Here you go. Ah, oh, reunited already so soon, and ecologically sound. Beautiful. This is getting dark. The process is seen as an eco-friendly alternative to usual methods. <laughs> it reduces the carbon footprint phew, associated with uh, cremation and the land needed for burial. But they're also looking at water cremation, known as resumation or aquamation or alkaline hydrolysis. In this, a body is placed in a biodegradable coffin into a water cremator. And the hot water and strong alkali are added and this reduces the corpse to a biofluid and ash. It takes four hours and that's the end of it. The ashes can be returned to the family and the fluid, which contains no trace of DNA, is drained away. This is getting bleak. This is bleak. Anyway, it's all happening. It's going on in the States. Desmond Tutu, if in case you're wondering, was laid to rest. His ashes were laid to rest after resumation. So, celebrity resumations. Just as you thought that we were such things as dreams are made of. Two wheelbarrow loads of dreams, I guess. Dark, but funny and well-told stuff to end the newsings from this morning's Ryan Turbody show. Now, for anyone saving up the finale of the previously mentioned Happy Valley, avoiding spoilers is almost a full-time job. On this morning's Today with Claire Byrne, 2FM's Africa O'Connell gave away the ending, thus ruining many people's mornings and viewing plans. Just kidding there. Africa spoke to Claire about spoilers and how hard it can be to avoid them, given that nobody watches anything at the same time anymore. Not only are people not watching things at the same time anymore, they're now waiting about a thousand years to watch the stuff that everybody else watched, you know, seven years ago. So I think if you still haven't watched the thing that ended seven to 15 years ago, it's likely you're not going to watch it. And I think it becomes your responsibility then to be like, well, I didn't I didn't catch this at the time that it was on. And you have to do your work to avoid mm-hmm. but spoilers. You, say now with Happy Valley, which ended on Sunday. I wouldn't a, dare. Would you not? Do you not feel like you want to talk about it though? Oh, I'm dying to talk about it. I'm dying to talk about nothing else with people, anyone who'll have me. But I... I will be very careful to ask first whether you've watched it. I asked you the first thing I asked you when I came in, have you seen it? Yeah. It is it, just so good. And I would recommend that if you're a, that, a fan of that kind of big BBC drama, it's it delivers in spades. But I would very much ask before I spoiled anything mm-hmm. for anybody because it's only been, it's only Tuesday. It was only on on Sunday on night. On Sunday, yeah, but it was a big thing. I mean, it the talk about it and the coverage Huge that it got. Huge amount of hype, yeah. And it went on, it's three seasons, but there was a yeah. gap, wasn't there? There was. So the first two seasons, so I've been doing a one-woman PR campaign for Happy Valley since 2014 when it came on, <laughs> on our screens in the first place because Sarah Lancashire just delivers the most powerhouse performance I've ever seen basically in any TV show. And Sally Wayne right as the writer that it started in 2014 season two came in 2017 and then there was a six-year gap between the season two and season three. And that was because, Sally Wainwright said, that was because one of the characters, Ryan, played by Reese Connor, 
um, he was 10 when series two finished and she wanted to get it to a point where he was a little bit older to move the story along so he could make his own decisions in I season I can see three. you, your cogs are turning, you're being really careful Forensic. there. Because he, yeah, because he is an important character. He's very important. Yeah, I, yeah. I heard Sally in an interview over the weekend yeah. and I know nothing about Happy Valley, yeah. but I got that bit, that, yeah. that he's an important player. He's very important. Ger has already been in touch saying, please don't reveal I the ending. We're not Ger. going, we're not, Ger, wouldn't do it to you. I wouldn't do it to wouldn't you. Wouldn't do it to you. Not wouldn't, a chance. Wouldn't even do it with um, The Sopranos. Wouldn't no, do it with exactly. Breaking Bad. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. So. Luckily with these things, I watch them and then I completely forget how it ended. So I, <laughs> oh, I can't. Like, <laughs> yeah, my mom does the same thing. She used to watch everything at least twice or three times before it sinks in. She says to watch Succession again before the next season comes. Listen, the other problem is that the endings of these things are often not great. See, this is the problem. And that was why I was so worried about what would happen on Sunday. Like you do get a bit of, you get apprehension because when the show really means something to you, we've seen on several occasions, really, really well-loved shows be just fatally damaged by a terrible series finale. Like a, a bad season finale is bad enough, but a bad series finale is really, really bad. And mm-hmm. like it's, so it's a really delicate kind of operation. You're never going to keep everybody happy all of the time, but you you do have to, you know, some of these some of these series that we were talking about finished with kind of what felt like and what was taken as a lack of respect to the audiences and the people who had been with these yeah, series. It for often decades. feels like the, the makers just get a bit tired. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, just wrap this thing That's up. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the good season endings then, yeah. um, in your view. So Mad Men is one that we all watched. When was that? Back so, in the early noughties, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So these are going to be controversial because not everybody, not everybody's going to agree mm-hmm. that it had ended the way that they, they wanted it to end. But I thought that Mad Men ended really well. It was a season, it had seven seasons altogether and finished in the, in the kind of 2010s and it was just the America it's just such a gorgeous show and it's available on on Amazon Prime if people haven't watched it and want to get into it. It's Don Draper played by John Hamm. The original ad man was just like so the, the linchpin of the show, the whole thing. Um, the whole, whole thing kind of circulated around him. And I really liked his ending. It was, I thought it was kind of, it got to a place where it was so perfectly cynical. It was a lovely ending, but it was also really cynical. Tied up a lot of loose ends for the big characters that we had come to kind love over the course of the seven seasons and came to a place at the end where everybody will know that uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke mm. ad from the 1970s. All I will say is that that has something to do with, with the, ending. the ending of Mad Men. Yeah, um, absolutely. Brendan huge. has been on about the original Dallas ser- series, which was the most <laughs> bizarre. They, I'm sure he's talking about Bobby in the, the shower? shower. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow is right. I mean, you just wouldn't get away with that now, would you? They used to tell, they used to tell us, I remember writing stuff in school, like saying, you can't end a, sh- a, a story with, it was all a dream. Yeah. Like, you just can't don't do it. Happen. No, don't let that happen. The Wire. I mean, that, that yeah. was another great uh, series. Not the easiest watch, but no. really compelling. And again, a hard one for them to wrap it up. But yeah. they did a really good job on that. They really did. And it was one of those things where there was five seasons of The Wire. I, I absolutely adored it. It was nearly an anthology series because you had different characters in each season. It t- took place in a different kind of section of society each season. So it was quite difficult to wrap up. But they they, they did it really they did it really well there was a lot of hope in the end of it but there was also because they never shied away David Simon never shied away from the grimness of of you know life in Baltimore and the projects in Baltimore all that kind of thing there was of course there was despair as well but it really felt 
honest. It felt true to the way the series had been from the very beginning. I loved the ending of The Warriors. I thought it was fab. Friends? Uh, like, <clears throat> I mean, it was... It, we got what we wanted, I think, out of it. You know, after 10 seasons, am I allowed to spoil the end of Friends? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. We are, aren't we? It's not a cliffhanger drama. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. I th- if I anyone hasn't on, yeah. seen think, Friends... Go on, I think it's fine. At this stage of and all 500 episodes of it, <laughs> it's like, good luck. But in the end, you get, you know, you get the will they, won't they turns out they will kind of situation between Ross and Rachel, David Trimmer and Jennifer Aniston that had been, you know, the se- basically the centre point of the show since the very first season. And look, yeah, it's a bit corny. It doesn't stand up to, to you know, 2023 scrutiny a lot of the time, but it was nice and it was easy and it was, you know, a lovely hour of, mm-hmm. of TV yeah, in the not, end. Not, not like a, a dramatic exactly. denouement. Game of Thrones then, that's uh, the one that people consider really... Now, it's a turkey. Do you have to really feel for the the writers of Game of Thrones because they thought they were going to have a full set of finished books to work with. But George R. R. Martin, who's the procrastinator of all procrastinators, and I really relate to him in that sense, uh, didn't finish the the series. So they kind of had to finish off yeah, the series themselves. Difficult. And they this this season had taken or this series had taken so much care to pace it properly, you know the characters were really well exposed and all that kind of stuff, and they were just doing things by the end of it that were completely against their character, and people absolutely hated it. Quite right too. It was absolutely pants, if I may be permitted to use the technical term. That's two FM's Africa Connell talking series endings and spoilers on this morning's today with Claire Byrne. Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure, is a book by Dr Mark Harper which details how cold water swimming can help with a number of ailments. Mark Harper spoke this afternoon to Ray Darcy. Now you're, um, you you specialise in uh, anaesthetising people, so you're an anaesthetist, which is difficult to say, uh, particularly if you're very cold. Um, and, and there's a thing in surgery after people go under an anaesthetic where they their body temperature drops. So part of your initial research was about this. Explain that to us. Well, this is this is a this is quite important with regard to the cold water swimming as well. So basically, your, all your temperature regulation mechanisms get turned off when you have an anaesthetic, right. and so the the normal things that keep you warm, the normal reactions that keep you warm, stop working, and when you become hypothermic during surgery, as basically you inevitably do you are more at risk of complications. And this is relevant when you get in the sea. One of the things is you want to avoid hypothermia. It's really important because hypothermia is always bad for you. You get in, you expose yourself to the cold and that you get that high. And that's what I'm writing about mm. in the book. But you don't want to stay in too long. If you stay in too long, you become hypothermic and you start getting complications like being injured rather than overdoing it in the gym and injuring yourself. But but do and and it's sort of an aside, but it's an interesting aside. I'm sort of building up your CV here, Mark, so that people know that you're you're a serious man and you have all the science to back you up. So so you thought and you still think, although there's no real, you think that if people were to, for example, before surgery do uh, cold water swimming, that it would prepare them better for surgery. That's one of your theories, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Because one of our jobs, apart from to keep people warm and reduce complications. 
is that there, there are other jobs as an anaesthetist you can do to reduce the level of complications, and that's by reducing the stress response because mm. you know surgery is really stressful on the body, and although with a good anaesthetic you're not going to feel it, you're not going to be remember it. At the end of it, you know, your body is still reacting as if it's super stressed and what you want to do is get that stress response just down to where you want it rather than this overexcitable stress response and by getting used to swimming in the cold water which is a stress response you attenuate that stress response and then you just get the good bits of it rather okay. than all the bad bits hormesis which we'll come to uh, but let's start now what happens to your body because it, it affects your body and your brain. But let's start with the body first. What happens to your body when you go into cold water? You immediately get lots of hormones released, all kinds of stuff. Most predominantly, it's like stuff like adrenaline and uh, its relation noradrenaline. What this does is it shuts off all the blood vessels to the skin because that's how you lose your heat. It wants to keep all that heat inside you. And as a consequence of shutting off all those blood vessels and putting all that blood inside it puts up your blood pressure and you know as i said it's a stressful experience so your heart rate goes up you know your sympathetic fight flight response just kicks in basically mm. so initially it's a bad thing that's right it's a it's a, a stressful thing should we say rather than necessarily a bad thing okay um and then you regulate your temperature you regulate your breathing that's what happens, is it? Yeah, so initially, as you get in, if you're not used to it, 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 it all changes as you adapt to the cold. And that, you know, by the cold, by the way, I just mean less than 20 degrees centigrade. Mm. Uh, and, you know, to adapt, it takes like five or six times in that, uh, in that kind of temperature. But when you first go in, and you're not used to it. You hyperventilate. You take a big gasp. And this is the this is literally the killer. Because if you take a big gasp, your head goes under a wave. That's a lung full of two and a half litres of water, mm. which is not really very compatible with breathing. And, and then eventually, after a little while, your breathing comes under control again. And then... Uh, but, but as you get used to it, you, know, you don't ha have that initial response. Okay, so there is research to suggest that this little bit of stress, this sort of dart of stress that we get when we enter cold water, uh, does all sorts of beneficial things to our body. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you mentioned the term hormesis, and it's like everything. If you, we go to the gym to work out our muscles, and it's the micro tears in the muscles which make the, make them build up and become stronger. But if you overdo it, you know, you get an injury. Mm. And it's the same going into that cold water. It gives you this micro stress. And what that does, I mean, I think most importantly, most significantly really is the way it reduces your inflammatory response. I mean, inflammation is this, you know, it's a natural reaction. It protects us from uh, injury, from bacterial invasion and things like this. But again, you don't want too much of it. When you have too much of it, you get all kinds of lifestyle illnesses, high blood pressure, heart problems, migraine, uh, things like this. And so you want to get that down again to this good physiological zone rather than having it out in that bad pathological zone. That's Dr. Mark Harper, anaesthetist and author, talking about his new book, Chill, The Cold Water Swim Cure, to Ray Darcy this afternoon. 
Des Eakin joined Ryan Tuberty in studio to talk about his book, The Stolen Village, which tells the remarkable true story of how in the 17th century, 100 residents of a West Cork village were captured and taken to North Africa by a Dutch pirate. This is 1631. Um, Baltimore was was inhabited by a lot of names that aren't particularly Irish. So why yeah. don't you give us the, 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 the okay. a sense Could of this story? First of all, make a very, very important point, which is this was full-on slavery. These people were yeah. taken and sold in the slave market. But it was a different sort of slavery to the transatlantic uh, slave trade that you're talking about, yes. the Africa to America. That was a different sort of system. It was much more brutal. It was a much more much higher death rate. Um, so not comparable by any standards, not at all. So um, I don't want to draw any false equivalence between the two. Fair enough. But at the same time, you know, nobody volunteered for this. They were ripped away from their homes, taken away. Okay, you you asked about uh, the the fact that a lot of them had English names. These were people who had... during a rebellion, uh, the an insurgency, the Hugh O'Neill insurgency, uh, the country was left quite devastated. And a lot of the O'Driscoll clan who lived in Baltimore had gone away to Spain. And uh, this uh, community of uh, religious dissident moved in. They were um, Puritans and they wanted to get away from the established church, to get away from oppression in England and create their own uh, uh, religious community. Now, they weren't, there were no angels, uh, it's nothing like that. But um, they were the same group of people who, for, who founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony in America. So they're part of the same group of people. So they weren't in any way oppressors. Uh, you know, we tend to think English colonists, bad oppressors, moving in, taking away the land. No, they leased it fairly and squarely for 21 years from the uh, local Gaelic chieftain, paid him for it. Um, and <clears throat> the people who were taken away, though, weren't all English. Uh, that's uh, that's another misconception, because uh, the list gives the head of household and uh, so it, it, it most of the names are English, but at the same time, a lot of the people were servants, unnamed servants, and uh, housemaids, people like that, who were probably Irish. Yeah. And there were a couple of Irish names among even the people who were named, uh, for instance, uh, McGarry, and uh, somebody who was a, co- a connection of the McCarthy clan down there. So it was a mixed bag. Um, so, uh, that, you know, there wasn't in any way, this wasn't just uh, something that happened to English people. OK, so they were living fairly peacefully, uh, going about their business on their leased land. And um, before you know it, across the way, in, in the piracy was the big business. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the Barbary Coast. Talk to me about the, the, the main man who's going to be the pirate, uh, the, the chief baddie, if you yeah. like, in this story. Okay. Um, race, yeah. Morat race, precisely. Because he was a <coughs> Dutchman, wasn't he, originally? He was, yeah, huh? I mean, again, the connections are fascinating. So let's bring us around to him and why he okay. ended up in We're Baltimore. talking about the Barbary Coast. You're talking about, um, this was very notorious in those days. It was set, one of the centres of piracy. The other centre, strangely enough, was the southwest coast of Ireland. But we're talking about Morocco, we're talking about uh, Tunis, Tripoli and Algiers. There are three states around the North uh, North African coast. And they were deeply involved in piracy at that time. They were under the control of the Turkish Ottoman Empire, but they were sort of semi-detached. So the idea was they could go out and uh, do slave raids in uh, European countries. Uh, and the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire could sort of talk, talk about this, but at the same time enjoy the, uh, the, the, the profits from it all. Mm. So the man that you're asking about, Morat Rice, um, <clears throat> he was a Dutchman. Uh, he was uh, started off as a licensed pirate, a privateer. 
He ended up getting captured in Lanzarote and having a sincere conversion to Islam. And it changed his life completely. He moved out to Morocco, married into royalty in, uh, in Morocco, ended up in Algiers. Very heavy uh, uh, personality. He was a celebrity because he had done a slave raid, a similar slave raid in Iceland. Uh, he sailed all the way up to Iceland to the Westman Islands and uh, took 400 slaves from there, brought them back to Algiers, and they were sold in the slave market there. So this was a follow-up to that. Um, on In June, or sorry, in May of 1631, he sailed up um, with two ships bristling with guns, about 36 guns, 280 musketeers, a lot of uh, a lot of firepower. This was a serious mission. So they go up and they go first of all to the old head of Kinsale, where they scoop up ten fishermen from Dungarvan, get some intelligence from them, and then go to Baltimore. Um, they um, moor their ship uh, in an inlet just beside the headland where the beacon is today. So they, in the dead of night, around sort of three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, they go round the headland, they row round the headland, and um, uh, they disembark and they fan out around the uh, an area called the Cove, which is about half a mile from Baltimore. And uh, in a coordinated attack, they sort of thrust their uh, burning torches into the thatch of the uh, of the houses. When the people come running out, they surround them, shouting and screaming, waving their swords. But of course, they don't want to kill anybody. They want to uh, get live, healthy slaves to take back to to Algiers. Although two men did try to resist and they were just hacked down in the spot. So there were two fatalities. So they got um, 100 slaves out of that... um, out of that raid they tried to go further up into the main village but they were deterred because somebody saw them and started battering a drum and uh, the the pirates thought perhaps this is an army up there somebody else shot a few shots from a musket so they only got a few more captives from the main village then they went down and set sail and uh, with 107 captives that drum could have saved many, many lives, as you say yes, in the book. If he hadn't hit that drum, they might have gone for it and gone further inland. But Ooh, yeah. let's get to the boat then. Okay. Suddenly, these people are surrounded by, and you always describe beautifully the, the costumes, if you yeah. will, the uniforms, I should say, mm-hmm. of the of, of the, the pirates. The mm-hmm. Corsairs, a word I wasn't familiar with, I have to say, but no, they're, the, they're essentially the, pirates. They're essentially they? pirates yeah. from, the north, from the Barbary Coast. Okay, were, and, and on the boat they go, and they've just gone from, as you say, they were, they were at prayer, they were tending their animals. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, with their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Now they're on a boat heading for Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it must have been a phenomenal. They, they let off uh, two elderly people, but everybody else was uh, uh, kept on the, the boat um, and on the ship. And uh, they made it 38 days voyage. They were, seemed to be reasonably well treated because uh, everybody survived. So we have a log of the arrival showing that the numbers are more or less the same as uh, the, the, the people who left. Um, so the first thing they do is they get paraded around the streets of uh, of Algiers. This was a sort of custom when they got a big haul of captives, and the sights and sounds that they saw there, the colours, the, uh, the the heat, the heat, and apparently not in this case, but there were other captives who dropped dead of sheer terror just by the yeah. change in environment. 
Um, next thing, they went before the Pasha, the ruler of Algiers, who took one of the native them for himself. Uh, that was his prerogative. Then they went on to the slave market, where they were put up on sale uh, for public sale. Like um, cattle. I mean, this was like check exactly, the teeth yeah. and see how, what, mm-hmm. what value. If you were a, a carpenter, you'd be worth that amount of money. If you were mm-hmm. a beautiful woman, you, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah. every, everyone had a certain value. That's right. And in fact, we know uh, from the documents a couple of the prices that they fetched. There was uh, the uh, woman I talked about earlier who was heavily pregnant. She was uh, sold for £38. Another woman was sold for £18. So she was pregnant, so I imagine it must have been like a sort of buy one, get one free deal. A two for, yeah. <laughs> two for one. Yeah. Um, the others we don't have a particular uh, prices for, but most of them were sold for around 40 or something like that. I figure out that in today's values, it was about the price of a hatchback car, that sort of thing <laughs> that they were sold for, that a human being it's sold terrifying. for. Um, terrifying. Yeah, go on, please. Sorry, Joe, the most amazing thing is we're very lucky in that we have the account of a French priest who witnessed him yes. being put in sale. And he was absolutely just emotionally overwhelmed by this. He said there's daughters uh, ripped away from their fathers, uh, there's wives from their husbands, children children all uh, ripped from their families. And uh, he said that everyone in Algiers was in, in tears with what had happened to these people. Author Des Eakin with the extraordinary tale of the villagers from Baltimore, West Cork, who were kidnapped by a Dutch pirate and enslaved on the Barbary Coast. Des's book is called The Stolen Village and it's published by the O'Brien Press. The government promised additional resources for children's spinal surgeries a year ago. Today with Claire Byrne reporter Brian O'Connell set out to discover whether or not that promise has been kept. In the early part of last year, government announced this 19 million euro package to try and address this issue. It included four month targeted waiting times. There was a promise of additional surgery capacity in Temple Street and Crumlin and then significant investment in Kappa Hospital, the National Orthopaedic Hospital, which is a standalone hospital. So it's not reliant or not tied to acute care. So all of this was in an effort to tackle waiting times, ensure operations weren't cancelled as frequently as they were being, and then to ensure that children obviously were not left in pain for many years waiting on treatment. So did it work, Brian? Well, figures released to me by Children's Health Ireland show last year CHI and CAPA completed 509 spinal procedures. So this was an increase of 47% on 2021. So in other words, an additional 162 spinal operations were completed last year. Of those, 252 were spinal fusions and the surgeries were completed at Crumlin, Temple Street and at CAPA. So that's positive news and it's the kind of increase in capacity that many were calling for when we first reported on this last year. But there were some negative impacts towards the end of last year, 2022. Exactly. It's quite interesting when I asked CHI what the current waiting list for this kind of surgery related to scoliosis or spina bifida is. They confirmed that there was an increase in the waiting lists in the last few months of 2022. This is obviously clear due to the unprecedented winter surge. So we're seeing now the issues across the hospitals, the impact it's having here now on uh, surgeries. So this resulted in the cancellations of surgeries uh, requiring post-op care in ICU. So, for example, from the end of September to December 2022, 34 spinal surgeries were cancelled, 18 of those in Crumlin, 16 in Temple Street. At the moment, there's a spinal fusion waiting list of 127 patients. So that's the impact of the hospital crisis in recent months, not only on emergency departments and wards, but also 
on surgeries. And the big concern now is that the gains that were made in getting people off those long waiting lists, that momentum perhaps may be lost if the crisis continues. But obviously there's hope as we emerge from winter with more capacity coming on stream, things may abate. So there's certainly some progress to report there, Brian, but parents are raising issues, aren't they, around follow on care? A lot of parents I've talked to in recent days will acknowledge there has been improved access to surgeries. There's less cancellations, particularly in those first nine months of last year. But what families are telling me now is that a big issue they're experiencing is access to post-op treatments. So if you can imagine, Claire, given the nature of spinal surgeries, uh, some children who may have been waiting far too long, the surgery then can often be more complex. So they obviously require a range of ongoing treatments post-operation, such as physiotherapists. They need access to occupational therapists. Some of them need counselling because of the actual trauma that they would have endured. So families I've been talking to say these supports are not as available or as frequent as they should be. Now, I spoke to Denise and her daughter, Abby Rose, got her surgery last year in June. They were waiting a couple of years. She said she has had just four physio appointments since the surgery and she hasn't had an occupational therapy appointment. She told me firstly how long she'd been waiting for her daughter's surgery. Right in the bus of two years for surgery for Abby Rose. Finally got it in June of last year. Unfortunately, the Abby Rose surgery, when she got it done in June, didn't go according to plan and she was rushed back in for emergency surgery on Father's Day and the steel work and all had to be redone. She needs to be build back up her strength that she lost from being in her chair for so long. She needs to be back up on her feet. Physio and OT, we've had a couple of physio and OT, but um, they've changed staff and people have left. There's just not enough staff to cover the amount of people that are on the list. I suppose the government had recommitted to targets for surgery times. Other parents now, it's back to square one again now with, as you can see yourselves all over the news with the hospitals and stuff. Surgeries now are not happening now again. Um, but they were doing well on them because after all was, was done in June and a couple of other parents got done in the meantime. But now, since all the, the, the sicknesses have come back into the country, everything has stopped now again. So, um, I think cancellations have happened as well, but I think it's more so now that the people are just not getting the appointments. A lot of focus on trying to manage the list, but as you're saying, there's the follow-on care, there needs to be as much focus. Oh, yeah, of course. And there's no point a surgeon doing his work and then all of a sudden just for it to be left. There's no point of us putting our kids through these surgeries that are, that are terrifying at most. But then to know that the follow-on care, it's, it's just not happening, Brian. It's absolutely, it's, it's just disgraceful. Now, I know, Brian, you got a response from Children's Health Ireland to that issue of follow-on care, but you also spoke to one advocacy group on this. Yes, Claire, I spoke to Jerry Maguire, Chief Executive of Spina Bifida Hydrocephalus Ireland, and this is his assessment of the past year, just in terms of the government commitments and the outcomes on the ground, beginning with those four-month targeted waiting times. We were full of optimism a year ago. There's still children there waiting longer than four months. There has been surgeries performed, and the problem is, and it's a it's a serious problem. People may well be having surgeries for the children, but there is no follow up services. There's no point in providing surgery if you're not going to provide the follow up services like physio and so on. The stats I've gotten from Temple Street show that the orthopedic surgeries peaked in summertime but have tapered down now. Urology is the same. Us ratifying the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities was a great achievement. But we cautioned against that at the time, that ratifying that wasn't going to dramatically improve the lives of people with disabilities because the services weren't there to back that up. What do you think needs to happen now, Jerry? If I see a parent coming to me saying, 
that their child has had surgery but hasn't had physiotherapy services to augment that surgery, well, then that's a failed part of the system because it, the child has gone through the trauma, both physical and psychological, of having that surgery for nothing, in my view. So I think we've got to get real here. You know, it's it's time for us to take disability services seriously. If we can't look after the most vulnerable in our society, who are people with disabilities, in my view, and the elderly, we're not doing right by our citizens. Jerry Maguire, Chief Executive of Spina Bifida Hydrocephalus Ireland, ending Brian O'Connell's report for today with Claire Byrne about persistent issues with providing proper care for children in need of spinal surgeries. Caller Cormac spoke to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line about how he was, well, uber-jacked in Dublin recently. So I was out on Saturday, well, Friday night, Saturday morning. I was coming home uh, from with some friends, had a few drinks, and I was walking on my own back to uh, the bus stop outside the Shelburne Hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, in a Dublin, night, yeah. Steve's Green, yeah. Yeah, uh, to uh, UCD. Mm. And uh, I just missed my bus, so I was just sitting on the bench just at the bus stop, uh, waiting for the bus to come, and it was, I just missed it. So it was about, about mid-30, late 30 minutes. Okay. and uh, this person this girl approached me and she was like are you going to UCD as well because uh, I'm a student as well and she, I was like yeah and she was like I've just uh, got an Uber uh, instead of waiting all that time do you want to just share the Uber back and I'll just drop you off okay. and uh, I was like yeah no problem I've been quite had quite a few drinks in so I wasn't really uh, paying attention to like what you should and shouldn't do at this point mm-hmm. but uh, I got in this car uh, and was in this car for what felt like less than five minutes, and uh, she uh, saw me put my code into my phone. Uh, I think she was either distracting me or I, was just, I just wasn't really paying attention, but my okay. phone's face ID, and you have to, if it doesn't work, you have to put your code in. Yeah. And she saw me do that once or twice, and uh, all of a sudden the tax, well, the, whatever it was, the Uber uh, pulled over suddenly, and he was like, could you get into the front, Sean? Well, not Sean, he's just like, could you get into the front? And uh, I didn't really take much note of it. It seemed a bit suspicious, but once again, just wasn't really thinking straight. Opened the door, and uh, she snatched my phone and kicked me out. Um, and I kind of just, yeah, stumbled, fell on the ground, but it wasn't anything bad. But they slammed the door and sped off, and it was a quick realisation that uh, she had my phone, which was unlocked, and could have accessed my bank accounts or anything like that. So, uh, so this was a setup. It was a setup. yeah. It was all completely uh, planned. Wow. And she was obviously very convincing. Uh, she was convincing enough, to be fair. I mean, she saw that I was clearly not uh, sharp or sober, like, so she thought mm-hmm. this could be the perfect one to like, take advantage of anyway, yeah. And did you actually get into the taxi before she grabbed your phone? Or you were uh, no, so I had pros- my phone on me the whole time, and yeah. she was speaking to her a bit. She said she was a student, I guess, took her word for it. Um, and yeah, just walked just to this like this car. It had no indication of it being an Uber or a taxi, which mm-hmm. is another red flag. But just didn't really pay much attention to it, I guess, which was very stupid of me. And I got into the back with her and was just talking to her. And she saw my code, and when she saw my codes, I think she obviously had like some sign to the man in front, come to pull over. And 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 then. The door was opened and your phone was grabbed. So I opened the door while I was trying to get, when I was about to get into the front, and she just took it out of my hand. And, uh, yeah, that was it. And you say that um, you rang Vodafone. What did they tell you? 
So I raced home, and uh, obviously the next day I went to Vodafone, and uh, I said, my phone's been stolen. Um, it's, t- it's an iPhone XR. Uh, can I, like, kill that SIM? And they did all that for me, and he was, like, saying, you're, like, the third person wow. this week that's happened to him. He said uh, his mate happened to his mate as well. And their intention is pretty much uh, they'll, like, message many people as they can because they have your social media and stuff and they'll try ask for money as an, as if, if it's like a, an emergency or something. And they were asking my friends for like 300 quid, family and all this stuff and mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was a bit madness. Well, and they were doing that still like at like 2 o'clock the next day while I was still trying to get access into all my bank details and stuff, just making sure everything's locked down. So what's, so your, your warning to others is what? Like when you say Uber, I mean that you're presuming you mean free now, do you? Well, whatever. There's Uber, there's like there's Uber that wouldn't have any, uh, like a taxi would be easy to notice. It has a big yellow bar on the top roof, and some cars, I mean, like Uber and stuff like that, wouldn't have any of that stuff. They might have like a sign on the side of the door, but like I said, I didn't pay any attention. Mm-hmm. I say just have your wits about you. I mean, like there is people still out there. It's obviously becoming more and more common um, for people to keep on robbing phones and stuff like that to get into access into accounts and stuff so just have your wits about you and even just maybe just be with someone as well like just don't be on your own in these cer- uh, circumstances I guess but like we've another call here we're, we're trying to contact the, the the chap who called us but his phone but, but they they tried to get his Rolex watch yeah no it's it's coming more and more common like for this robbery and stuff I don't know what to say, what to say like okay another warning to people just to be uh, you, by the way, you're very you're very brave, Cormac, because you said yourself you had you had a few a few points in you or whatever. Um, but um, you're you're willing to tell the story to try and warn others. By the way, did they get any money off you given that she? Uh, no, they didn't. I contacted my bank and I was lucky because I did race home. I was fortunate enough. Once I realised that I'd been robbed, I hailed down a taxi, told them I just got robbed. I need you to drop me home. Mm-hmm. And I got in contact with my bank to shut everything down. But I was actually even speaking to my bank today, and they were in my bank account, in my online bank account, and they were wow. sh- uh, shuffling money from my savings to my current and hopefully try to get my current into my revenue. So they were definitely trying They tried to take quite a lot of money, um, which when they told me like how much it was. But uh, luckily, it's, it's fine now. It's, it's safe. Yeah. It's all locked down. By the way, was there any... Did she push or shove or... So it, was, it wasn't really a play. It was like a, it was a kick, but it wasn't a very violent kick. It was okay. just like I'm obviously halfway out the door, and she just wanted to make sure, grab the phone before I tried do anything. Kicks me in the back, and then yeah, I was on the ground, and then got up quickly, and then door was closed, and they were gone. That's Cormac talking to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line about how he was mugged while trying to get home from Dublin city centre recently. Finally, on this edition of Playback Daily, today with Claire Byrne's regular mental health specialist, Dr. Harry Barry, has a new book out. It's called The Power of Connection, and Harry joined Claire in studio this morning to talk about it. The irony of this is you wrote this in the middle of yes, the pandemic I, I, when we were I, all isolated. I, I wrote this during the pandemic, but I'd actually uh, decided and agreed that I was going to write it prior to the pandemic because I was actually already very concerned about the impact of social media honest, you know, and how all of us are becoming gradually sucked into the world of social media. And we're stopped 
talking to each other face to face, that human connections. Mm-hmm. And then along came the pandemic. And the pandemic showed in 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 in, in its entirety, really, do you know what I mean? That we need each other. We and were we all starved. felt that. We all we, missed that we human missed that contact. We missed that normal face-to-face human interaction. But I suppose if we look at the legacy of it, hybrid working and yes. people being at home for maybe two or three days a week when they mightn't have any face-to-face interaction yes. at all on those uh, yes. days. Yes, and I think that's going to increase uh, the, the problems that we, that we were already facing mm-hmm. prior to. I mean, there are huge advantages to social media and there are huge advantages to hybrid working. But my God, we, we are going to lose these incredible social brain skills and I think I think that's the key. The social brain is our powerhouse. It's developed over tens of thousands of years. The figure of the modern human brain, is, believe, believe it or not, is only about 30,000 years old, even though the, the humans are in existence for a long period of time. But there's no doubt about it that the social brain, this extraordinary combination of different parts of our brain, such as our, our prefrontal cortex, our mirror neuron system, and this incredible spinal cells, which work at incredible speed in our brain. This has been set up for us so that we can listen to each other, talk to each other, read each other's nonverbal cues, manage conflict, know when to move, when not to move and all the rest of it in relation to social events. And this is the powerhouse. The social brain is the powerhouse of your social skills. But the problem with these social skills, we're not born with them, Claire. Do you know what I mean? We have to learn them them and develop them. We develop them as children, adolescents and go into adult life. And my big fear is that we're, we're going to really start losing these these skills because not only are we not learning them but in some cases we have them but we're not using them and I think social media is is diminishing our use of them. Some people might really like not having social connections. They might just be very comfortable in their own company and yeah, not having that, to do the, too much face to face. The problem with that is that it really is it maybe helps the introvert at one level. Uh, it, it's it, particularly somebody with social anxiety they love it but it's what happens when they have to hit real life because we Claire, we can't have a relationship, do you know what I mean, uh, over over machines, do you know what I mean? We have to eventually interact with each other. And um, uh, what I've been, uh, what I decided really prior to the pandemic was that I would try and lay out what are all these skills? What do we actually need to know? So, uh, and then more importantly, how do we learn them? Mm-hmm. Because there's no point in knowing uh, what a skill is, but we need, to le- we need to have the ability to learn it. So I decided that I would come up with four skill sets, do you know what I mean? So I and, and, and try and make it easy for people. So let, let's go through these ver- uh, four skill sets. We have verbal skills. This is the world of, of listening, something I'm so uh, uh, really into, and the world of conversation. So there's, there's three skills in listening and four skills in conversation. And we, we examine in the book all the things we do wrong, you know, the whole lot of us. We all get this wrong. I get it wrong. Everybody gets it wrong. And then nonverbal skills is the second set of skill sets. These, this is this extraordinary world that goes on in parallel with your verbal uh, world where your body, you're listening, I'm listening to your body at another level completely. I'm listening to your your eye contact, your facial movements, your body posture. Uh, and then we have the area of people-to-people skills. My, I, am I empathetic? Do you know what I mean? Am I able to read people? Can I read non-verbal cues? And how do I manage conflict? My God, what an incredibly important thing that is. And then all these personal skills that we bring into our everyday communication, like self-acceptance, being yourself, a sense of humour, kindness, uh, gratitude and learning how to banish hurt and frustration. So what I did really was I decided that the simplest way to do this, to help people quickly build up skills. We're all busy. We all don't have loads of time to be doing this stuff. So I created what we call a four-week programme so that you will pick one skill from each area and practice each each week.
week. So, for example, week one, you might pick a listening skill from the verbal skill. Week two, you might pick, pick, pick a, 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 a non-verbal skill such as body language. Week three might be how do I develop my empathy skills from the people-to-people skills. And four, maybe self-acceptance. So over that time, over four weeks then, I've hopefully started to build into my life four key skills. And then I pick another four skills mm-hmm. and then another four skills. A lot of this comes down, would you say, to awareness. You it's know, once awareness. you know what you're looking out it for, is. you can yeah. you change so it without even realising it. Absolutely. The book is very into this world. We're all talking about mindfulness. But mindfulness is the, is the focused awareness of our brain on something. And if you have never in your life focused your... How good a listener am I, for example? You know, if we take the four skills, let's take the four skills. Uh, we start maybe with listening. How good a listener are you? We all think we're great listeners. So in the book, I go to all the things that we're inclined to do wrong. And the most common one is that we barely listen at all. We're what we call passive listeners. We're only vaguely half listening to what people are saying. And at the same time, we're wondering about what happened for dinner. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So our minds are, are not really focused on listening. We never listen to the emotions of a person. We don't listen to the key, key points. We don't listen to silence, something I'm very hot on. We, we don't know how to manage silence. So uh, we call this being an active listener. That's a person who really listens, listens carefully to the details, listens to the emotions the quickest way uh, to really listen properly is to learn to listen to emotion and then listen, learn, listen to the silences. So uh, in the book, for example, I'll go through different exercises to help you to develop each of those skills. What a wonderful thing if I can do that. And then if I could, for example, learn my, about my body language. I, I, how many people really ever vi- video themselves with the help of a friend and actually look at their body language, you know, and how, for example, we often fold our hands like that in front of us, which is a real sign of don't mess with so me. So are you talking about body language when you're listening or in a yes. conversation with During somebody? Conversation. So if the legs are crossed and the arms are folded, the cross, well, I'm not, I, might be, I might be saying that I'm really listening, but am I really listening? Or, uh, or, or dominant posture, the person who puts the hands on the, the hips that drives us all mad, do you know what I mean? Uh, or the person who is like myself, who constantly uh, is with the hands in, in motion all the time, or we're fidgeting all the time. So these incredibly important key body language and what happens, your social brain and my social brain, Claire, are having a two-way conversation. We're talking at one level and our social brain is picking up and all, all the non-verbal cues going on at the same time. And if they're not in harmony, bang, you've got a problem because that person will begin to pull away from you and you won't even know why. Mental health specialist Dr Harry Barry on this morning's Today with Claire Byrne talking about his new book, The Power of Connection. It's published by Orion Publishing. And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Neil O'Shirathon. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio player. And there'll be another episode of Playback Daily at the same time tomorrow. Probably. Until the next time, thank you for listening and good luck.